Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. We all witnessed it, but only Paul had a sideline view. What he saw from the offense on Sunday, it's now six games worth of just not good football, and it's only magnified by how well the defense is playing. There is help on the way, however. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 604, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed it. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, half a 5, he's in again. Some more Murray magic. Wow. Here's Craig Grealoux. Because we're always looking for someone or something to blame, Paul, can we blame the Sun for Sunday's performance? 19-9 losing at the Seattle Seahawks because I go back to pregame and your tweet at Paul Calvisi. First time in nearly two decades that we packed sunglasses. That's right. Uh, honestly, and we threw on some sunscreen just for good measure, and uh, I, I guarantee, guarantee that has never been the case. In fact, I asked a lot of people who have been around longer than I have, and believe it, believe it or not, those people do exist down on the sideline, and they said, no, never remember coming up here and being full sun. In fact, I believe they set a record for high temperature for that date in October that's how sunny it was. And I think maybe the Seahawks are thinking, oh, yeah, we got the advantage because we have the sun side or the shaded side of this field and the Cardinals are in the full sun. But still, it was only 80 degrees maybe. So was there full sun? Yeah. Did you need sunglasses and or sunscreen? Okay. But but it's not like the Card- Cardinals have been practicing for months and much worse. So the weather was not a factor for totally no, different really? reasons. Okay. Then, okay. But but it did lead, and that was sort of the nature of the tweet, was, uh, you know, this bizarro setting. So, yeah, we got a, you know, we definitely got a result that we weren't accustomed to in Seattle where the Cardinals had won five of their last seven. I, I like it much better when you bring and make your own sunshine instead of relying on Seattle because that had been the case previously. Officially 72 degrees at kickoff, and it was the Cardinals' earliest trip to the Pacific Northwest since 2011 when they visited in week three. So, yeah, things were a lot different, but what has not been different this season is the lack of an offense. We did eliminate the first quarter not scoring in the first 15 minutes stat. We can eliminate that. Don't have to talk about that anymore. The Cardinals did score three points on their opening possession. Still don't have a touchdown in the first quarter, yet it's what happened after that first drive, Paul, that has left many fans wondering, questioning, and all fair as far as what this team now moves forward heading into week seven and a short week against the New Orleans Saints. Especially against that defense. Against a defense that was nearly dead last in every metric and category that counts. A defense that the week before had given up 39 points and a loss to the Saints against Andy Dalton and Taysom Hill. The week before that had allowed a 45-burger against the Lions. And the Cardinals didn't have an offensive touchdown. So... Yes, it's uh, and you know what? That first drive, you mentioned it, they went down the field. Oh, they went down the field, including a, what, a 42-yard run by Kyla Murray, and there were 10 plays and there were 76 yards on that drive, but there they were second and goal at the one. And it just, you know, from that point when you realize, okay, we got a field goal instead of a touchdown, and yes, they made the field goal with Matt Amendola, 
It will be the last field goal they would attempt the rest of the game. And we'll get into that. But, you know, you had a stat. What was it on the first couple of drives versus the next seven drives? So we talk about Vance Joseph making adjustments. I don't know if Pete Carroll, Coach Double Rainbow, and his staff made adjustments, but it was a totally different game after that Cardinals second possession. First two drives, Cardinals on offense, 24 plays, 131 yards, and six first downs. Over the next seven drives, 34 plays, 120 yards, six first downs. Wow. Wow. And you know what? Here's my diagnosis. And this is what makes it difficult to resolve. It's different people with different mistakes at different times. You can't just diagnose one thing that is plaguing and ailing and ill in this offense. It's different guys with micro mistakes, sometimes big mistakes, the fumble by Kyler Murray. It's other routes that aren't run correctly. It's guys who aren't in the right spots at the right times. You know, Benjamin told him, telling us in the Big Red Rage, clouding windows if the spacing isn't correct. All of that is out there. You know, a false start by a different offensive lineman, every guy taking his turn at in, inopportune times. So it makes it really hard to identify and correct what exactly is wrong. Other than if you want to hit zoom out and just attribute it to attention to detail. And everything trickles down from there, or a lack of focus, whatever you want to term it, uh, it just is not there. The precision that you need to move the football in the NFL. When you're a bigger enemy than the team on your schedule, when you're your worst opponent, which is what the case is for the Cardinals quite often, then, yeah, that becomes difficult to resolve. Although you could also draw a correlation between the absence of Justin Pugh and the Cardinals' lack of you know, production on offense. That that was a problem. All of a sudden, the interior O-line, when you paired up a Max Garcia and backup center Sean Harlow together, all of a sudden that became problematic, even against the Seahawks' defensive front that was minus its best interior D lineman in Al Woods. You're right, because you lose Justin Pugh late in that first quarter and it was on fourth down, that first play of the second quarter, so no Justin Pugh, and then it becomes, all right, what is this offense capable of doing? And after Justin Pugh left the game, they were not able to do anything. And you point to the play caller, you point to the quarterback, and it was interesting because we've noted several times here this season on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, with respects to Kyler Murray, and just he just looks out of sorts. He's just not quite as accurate. And Kingsbury postgame, quote, we are definitely not as in sync as we've been in the past as far as accuracy, timing, and all these things overall, end quote. That was a question about the passing game, whether it's Kyler Murray, does he not have enough time to throw the football, he's missing high, he's missing short, are wide receivers, pass catchers not running the right routes. I don't know what's to blame, just that I know it has not looked good with respect to Kyler Murray dropping back and trying to push the ball vertical up and down the field. There's no question that his completion percentage is the lowest since his rookie year, and it's real. It's extremely real. Uh, even that completion to Zach Ertz, not the 32-yarder down the field, which was high, and, and Ertz reeled it in, but later in the game on a crosser for a first down, the ball that was behind him, that was right in front of me on the sideline. I'm like, wow, I can't even believe Ertz contorted his body and turned back inside and actually caught that ball. There aren't many guys, especially tight ends, who can make that catch because that, that ball was off the mark, and it was just a regular drag route, a crosser. 
And so wonder, it, it kind of reminds me, and I hate to say this, I'm a Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen is one and only year as Cardinals quarterback. What was the case? He would make completions, but a lot of times he wouldn't hit guys in stride. So there were very, very seldom were there yards after catch because guys had to stop their route, had to contort their body, had to go all out and dive maybe to make a catch because balls were just off the mark. That wasn't the case with Kyla Murray his first few years. You know, Once he settled in as a rookie even, the accuracy was there, the deep ball was there. Heck, the final shot to Hollywood Brown was, was short. Now, I don't know if Hollywood Brown really had a step on Tariq Woolen, who runs a 4-2-6, and he's 6-4, and it's 3rd and 11, and you're going deep on a 30-yard shot downfield. You know, it's just some of that decision-making, too. You don't need the deep shot there against their best corner, who just posted his fourth interception in the last four games. You know, why are you testing that guy when the rest of that Seattle secondary is a liability? So... You know, saying in sync or, or no rhythm, I think, can become a euphemism for a lot of different things. Accuracy, mechanics, decision-making, progressions is how is, is he seeing the field? Is he, is he going through the progressions if the first two options aren't there? Is he seeing a third? Is he hanging around long enough to actually consider and weigh whether a third option? Are receivers giving up on routes? One of the indictments of an Andy Isabella before he was released. If a receiver breaks huddle thinking I'm the third or fourth option, our quarterback's never even going to get there in his mind or in his reads, then why am I running all out? I'm going to save my effort for another play, another sequence where I could be a primary option. So how much of that is going on? Nobody truly knows. In addition to between the play call by the play caller and the play that's being run, how often is the quarterback changing the call? Seeing things, checking into something different. Uh, he has the self-proclaimed free reign. So what does that mean? With what sort of frequency is he literally calling this game? It's hasn't looked good. Now whether that changes coming up on Thursday, yes, DeAndre Hopkins returns, but I've been very vocal, Paul. It cannot be that easy. It cannot be that simple that you plug number 10 back into this offense and everything is hunky-dory back to a year ago, 7-0, and 10-2. Because if that's the case, then there are bigger issues within this offense because you cannot solve what we've seen based off of just one player. With that said, though, some good news getting DeAndre Hopkins back. But you bring up that interception and Hollywood Brown hurting his foot on that play. He was spotted postgame in a walking boot. Reports this morning, ESPN's Adam Schefter saying potentially season-ending. Oh, man. More tests are needed on that foot. So – We've been waiting six weeks, Paul, to have DeAndre Hopkins and Hollywood Brown on the field at the same time. And even before the Schefter news broke, I was not expecting Hollywood Brown to be available on Thursday just based off the injury on Sunday. Four days later, it's almost impossible. But now to think that we might not ever see it here in 2022? Wow. And remember, he's he's in the final year of his contract, Hollywood Brown? He is. Well, look, the injury happened. The players knew it. I, I went down the sideline near the vicinity. Everyone's taking a knee. It's usually an indicator it's not good. It's somewhat serious. He had to be helped to his feet. He had to have a member of the training staff underneath each arm. He was helped off the field. We saw him after the game. He said the x-rays were negative, but he was in a walking boot, and he had a noticeable significant limp to his gait. So, yes, it's pause, it's plausible, and and reasonable to think that he may, he's going to miss time. 
So, and which would lead to the signing that they had moments before we just put on these headsets, and the Cardinals have themselves a new receiver. Six foot three, Robbie Anderson acquired from the Carolina Panthers for undisclosed draft compensation. And yes, this is the same Robbie Anderson who was kicked off the field during Sunday's game by interim head coach and former Cardinals head coach Steve Wilkes. For getting into it with his receivers coach a number of times. And then if and then he stuck around the locker room and met the media, yeah. Robbie Anderson. And was very forthcoming and was questioning why he was removed. So For third are, downs in particular, the yeah. money down, why wasn't he in on third down? And, and, and so, yeah, I think he was trying to exp- – because obviously it was a bad look and it was bad for his brand and his personal reputation – so I'm guessing he stuck around in that Carolina locker room to meet the media and defend himself and his decision, as dubious as it might have been, to get into it with his receivers coach. And you know the way he explained it, I'm all about winning and I'm not about you know the the money and any other accolades. You know I want to play, I want to matter, I want to be there on third down. Okay, well, guess what? Welcome to the AZ, Robbie Anderson. You've got half a season plus to prove yourself and see what your future might be. Now, the good news here for Anderson is he does get reunited with his position coach with the New York Jets. Sean Jefferson was his position coach when Anderson was coming out of college. Seven-year veteran. Again, you like the height because it's six foot three, and you just look at what he accomplished earlier this year. Week one, Paul, he had five catches for over 102 yards against the Cleveland Browns, but then since then he's been basically invisible and questioning why he's been invisible, don't know, but maybe a change of scenery is necessary. And at this point, Paul, I'm just looking for anything. And if the Cardinals can go out, if you lose Hollywood Brown for an extended period of time, you need to replace that with someone and might as well go out and find someone that at least has somewhat of a connection to this Cardinals coaching staff. Hey, I remember we went in to play Carolina just a couple of weeks ago, and there was a lot of talk from Matt Rule at the time before his dismissal about he was putting it on the receivers for Carolina, saying I guess there was some squawking, they weren't getting a lot of targets, Robbie Anderson included, and he put it on them to get more separation, to get open, to be more obvious for a Baker Mayfield. But all, all it took was watching that in person, and we all did against the Cardinals, obviously the Carolina passing attack was broken and dysfunctional. So, okay, I like that, though, that Sean Jefferson is former position coach. So, A, obviously nobody knows him better than Sean Jefferson, so he got some inside intel to Steve Kime. B, you would think that Robbie Anderson has a lot of respect for Sean Jefferson, and being a loose cannon and highly strong and very ultra-aggressive, Sean Jefferson is every bit as aggressive and forceful as a position coach, about as forceful as as the Cardinals have on that sideline. And and so, okay, you would figure if anyone can rein in that sort of personality, it would be a Sean Jefferson I'll tell you a story about Sean Jefferson. There was some serious frustration on that Cardinals sideline for the second straight game. And he's the guy who will come over and grab a player around the shoulder pads and take a walk down the sideline. It's Sean Jefferson. And will say, hey, come here. Let's walk and talk. And because, look, these guys are competitive. The offense obviously isn't firing. And, and, and guys get fired up at times. They'll come in after a drive and, and there's frustration and there's a spiking of a helmet and there's – some expletives that are let out, and, you know, it's there for all. I'm actually surprised, okay, between us here on Cover 2, I'm actually surprised that the Hard Knocks cameras haven't caught some of that. And I figure that they might be more apt to going forward. and so Or just holding it for when maybe, the series debuts in November. Yeah, I, I honestly, 
hold on to yourself for the debut edition because there's there's definitely some uh, fire and brimstone that has gone down that I'm curious whether the cameras have caught and whether that will be part of the first episode. And with the addition now of Robbie Anderson, not only with Sean Jefferson and the familiarity there, but I would think, if you ask Robbie Anderson himself, an upgrade at who's throwing him the football from Carolina to now to the AZ. And it's, again, a quick turnaround here this week. But perhaps Kyler Murray with another offensive weapon at his disposal hasn't looked great at times. But like I'll say, I'm just looking for anything, and it certainly sounds like at this point, I'm glad that the Cardinals are being aggressive and trying to figure out and not wait to see what goes on moving forward, whether that's with Hollywood Brown or anyone else. Because to your earlier point about DeAndre Hopkins, great. You got an all-pro caliber receiver that's coming back. A, what sort of shape is he going to be in? Is he going to be in game condition? He can't even really practice this week because there's no such thing as a practice. Man, on a Thursday night football, it's a glorified walkthrough. But what do good defensive coordinators do best? They take away your top option. Now minus Hollywood Brown, DeAndre Hopkins is going to get more attention than ever from the Saints and and the Vikings and every other opponent down the line. What does Vance Joseph do to the opponent? Look what he just did against D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett for Pete's sake. Those guys were non-factors in Seattle. It's remarkable what the Cardinals have done to take away the other team's top top target or two. So it's going to be vital. DeAndre Hopkins comes back, that's great. And I do believe he helps to find coverage for a Kyler Murray. And I do think that Kyler sees the field better when number 10 is back, just based on the how they defended DeAndre Hopkins, and it trickles down. So now there's really no excuse. There's a Robbie Anderson. There's a Rondell Moore. Where is Greg Dortch? How many snaps did he even get yesterday? I mean, I my understanding was a couple aspects about the game plan going in yesterday. One was definitely more of a Kyler run game. Ding, we saw that. My understanding was uh, they were going to try and emphasize uh, Zach Ertz more than ever. Didn't really happen until the second half. And then I was I was told Greg Dortch would be a bigger part of the game plan akin to the first couple weeks of the season. That obviously did not materialize. Dortch, four snaps on offense. Wow. One fewer than Javon Wims, who was just elevated from the practice squad. And to your point about Zach Ertz, because I did hear that pregame report before kickoff, and Ertz was not even targeted at all in the first half all of his 10 targets came in the second half seven catches for 70 yards Ertz was invisible in the first half he was and so once again you can't tell me that was the game plan going in so what does that mean why does that happen is the defense taking away Zach Ertz making him an ultra priority is the quarterback not seeing the field is the quarterback electing to go elsewhere I don't know but I think it's a symptom of a dysfunctional passing game, I just I just don't see how that can, you know, at some point you're going to try and target a Zach Ertz in that first half to get things going, and obviously that did not happen. But when you look at the fact the Cardinals were 4-16 on third down, they were 1-5 of on fourth down, they were 0-2 in the red zone, obviously there's a lot to fix. There is a lot to address. And what was your stat you had on the initial third downs and then everything changed? Wasn't that the uh, the stat I saw they had on the Cardinals offense? And it was the uh, – oh, man, and now I don't have it here, they so I'm started, leaving myself hanging. They started four of five on third down. That's it. Failed to convert on their final 11 chances, but then you break down those 16 third downs overall, 13 of them 
were third and five or more, so third and long. So you're not being successful on first and second down to give you a chance at a successful third down conversion to move the chain. So, yeah, the offense certainly has a number of issues, another number of questions. I don't have any of the answers. I just know that your next opportunity is coming up very quickly, and if you don't figure out, then all of a sudden you'll be going to two and five heading into week eight. And then you have the Minnesota Vikings coming off Thursday night football, the extended weekend. And, oh, by the way, the Vikings are 5-1. and one. Yeah. So, yes, you are at a critical turning point in this season. So will the urgency make a difference? Uh, will you come out in a Thursday night game? And we know the ability of the home teams usually to excel in that situation. You just watch Seattle game film. Getting ready for this one. Well, their their prior opponent before the Cardinals were the Saints. So you got you almost that's fortuitous for the Cardinals to be able to go ahead and do some homework on the Saints. But once again, you haven't won at home in nearly a calendar year. So with all that being considered, what is realistic? Because man, the Cardinals defense, you talk about doing more with less. That Cardinals defense right now and their ability to hold Seattle, which came in with all that offensive prowess and production and the points, and they looked like a shell of their productive self, that Seattle offense against the Cardinals defense, which just continues to get better. And obviously, honestly, on that sideline, because there were a number of young guys playing, Craig, and, and we saw good production out of my Jay Sanders and a Cam Thomas, but you know, and a Jesse Lucetta, who ended up having to play more because of Dennis Gardeck went down. But there were also some growing pains. There was some preseason stuff, like am I into the game, am I not into the game? You know, there was uh, some of that kind of stuff that's still getting ironed out. And, and 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 young guys, rookies in the spotlight with eyes wide and the coaches having to deal with some of those growing pains. But the fact the Cardinals are able to persevere through all that on defense and put that sort of effort out on the field, I mean, much respect to Vance Joseph and that staff. Four straight games in which that defense has held their opponent to 20 or fewer points. That's a recipe for success. Unfortunately, the Cardinals are 1-3 in, in those games. You brought up Cameron Thomas. By the way, since you're on the sideline, is it Cam or is it Cameron? What what, is, what are his teammates calling him? Because I've heard it now two different ways. I don't want to call him differently because, hey, you're a third-round pick. You and my Jay Sanders now had your welcome to the NFL moments as far as your first career sacks on Sunday, and it's why you were drafted. So I want to be able to give him his proper due, and I don't want to call him well, just Thomas. <laughs> he, he does answer to both. Both? Okay. I, I, you know, if you remember his first press conference with the media, <laughs> and they asked him, and he sort of thought about it. Like, he'd never been asked that question before. He goes, well, let's go with Cameron. So I don't think it's that big a deal. Okay. I, I don't, he don't think he feels strongly enough, and he's a pretty, you know, easygoing guy until he gets in between the white stripes, so I don't think it really matters. He did get a huge hug from Marcus Golden, who then later was given out his own hugs after his sack, so he, he he ended up getting his first official sack of the year. So there was a lot to like on defense. Zayvon Collins obviously loaded the box score, and the ability to interview him after the game, you're seeing a guy get better right in front of us. You're seeing a guy mature right in front of us. I think you're seeing a guy, you know, I was talking to him a couple weeks ago just in his locker. He said before every snap, he just tells himself, takes a deep breath, relax, slow it down. And so he tries to take these things in micro steps because, you know, as Zach Allen told us in the Big Red Rage recently, the NFL is a long way from the AAC, which is where Tulsa resides. So he's, 
He's obviously has a lot of growing pains, but he's navigating that learning curve and getting better really quickly and becoming a playmaker, becoming a difference maker. And man, with his size and speed, if he's able to continue to figure it out, uh, because they're you know that that bo- that bodes well, and that's what's so disappointing is to your point, fourth straight game where they don't allow more than twenty points. That's winning football by your defense. If the offense wasn't such a severe liability, you would at least be 500 right now. We had three questions, or at least I had three questions about this defense going in because that's where my concern was for this team. It was Zayvon Collins. What does he do in year three? Can he handle being that quarterback of the defense? And I think to your point, we're seeing it now, the progression from week one now to week six. Secondly was the edge rush. Who was going to get – to the quarterback as far as an outside linebacker is concerned. Still had question marks even going into this past weekend. But then you see Marcus Golden, Cameron Thomas, my Jay Sanders, especially those two young outside linebackers. Maybe they are trying. Maybe they finally have figured things out with more snaps. Third was the secondary, specifically the cornerbacks. You didn't have a lot of depth there. You weren't quite sure. Marco Wilson going into year two. Byron Murphy has become, I think, Shut down corner means a little bit different than it did maybe a few years back, but he has performed very, very well. Two, you look at what the Seahawks wide receivers did. Tyler Lockett, T.K. Metcalf, a combined four catches for 51 yards on 12 targets. The defense has been the story of this season. They have been the bright spot this season. Now, I think they'll all say we can be better, and you point to last week's game deciding drive against the Eagles they couldn't get off the field on third down Sunday was that Kenneth Walker touchdown run couldn't get off the field there when a stop would have made it 12 to 9 with your offense back on the football field but that's that to me Paul that's nitpicking if you're going to point to those two late game scores in the past two weeks because this is a very young defense that is maturing and improving right before our eyes they are getting zero help from the offense this season yeah, it's not like they can feed off the offense. In fact, I'll tell you, you know, you go back to the Philly game when the Cardinals, uh, they actually took the lead in that, which was the one where they, anyway, they took the lead and the Cardinals defense jumped up off the bench because it has happened so rarely this NFL season. They were so energized. It was the Gardeck. It was the padded bass by J.J. Watt and Gardeck ended up with the interception. Right, it was the week before the Eagles game, and but it was just the fact the offense had produced and scored a touchdown and given the Cardinals the lead, and that D was energized like it never was before. So right now, it reminds me of the COVID year where we used to say B Y O E, bring your own energy because that defense, it, it's it's always having to carry the load, and there's nothing to feed off from the other side of the ball. There's nothing where they can say, okay, guess what. We have, uh, you know, this, this this unstoppable offense that's going to allow us some grace. And guess what? Give us a lead so we can do what, Marcus Golden? Go hunt. Those guys love to do that. Can we get to the quarterback? Can we get some numbers, which gets us paid? They don't have that opportunity right now. And, yes, there's some palpable frustration. But to their credit uh, on the defensive side, they've continued to ball. And, and that's secondary. You noticed it when Christian Matthew came in. It was one snap, and they went right at him. Geno Smith was smart enough to go right at 35, and they had a completion. Then, boom, Christian Matthew came right out of the game. And and so if you can go ahead to – if if you can get a Trayvon Mullen back, and if he is 
the player you think he is. All of a sudden, a Byron Murphy, a Marco Wilson, Antonio Hamilton, who in that second half, they kind of switched things up in the second half. Ham was going against DK Metcalf quite a bit, where Byron Murphy was traveling with DK in the first half. So now all of a sudden, and Hamilton was he was barking at the Seahawks' sideline, and they're going back and forth, and he was making plays and breaking up passes. If you can add a Trayvon Mullen into that mix, and you can have four uh, – you know, reliable corners that you can mix up and change around, which Vance Joseph does a great job of doing, then okay, to your point. You know, really, the one, the two question marks remaining on the defense to me, Isaiah Simmons, how reliable is he snap to snap? How much is he still learning his position? And to what degree the mental side of things, the assignment and alignment is still a liability? We don't know. And then, uh, then the edge, then the edge. And but with my Jay Sanders coming along, and you know, just that energy and guys pushing each other, um, you know, you saw why they made the move for Devon Kennard. Devon Kennard obviously was not getting into the backfield or everything he was against the run and setting the edge. He does not have that sort of athleticism and length that a my Jay Sanders does. So guess what, young man, time to learn on the job as a third round pick. What you hope doesn't happen. We kind of touched on it last week coming off the loss to the Eagles was fracturing within that locker room offense versus defense defense doing its job pointing to the offense why aren't you doing your job found it interesting though because speaking post game with Zayvon Collins your post game conversation and he mentioned that J.J. Watt addressed the team prior to the media being let in and it was that message to stay together and the fact that it was a defensive player and not just any defensive player but the one who has the best resume on that side of the ball to step up in front of the room and say whatever he did but the bottom line was the message was loud and clear we are a team we win as a team we lose as a team so you hope that you don't see that finger pointing from either side of the room sort of a preemptive strike him anticipating what the media might come in and do and and the questions the media would pose. And, of course, they did pose questions, and rightfully so, about the disparity between the performance of the offense and the defense. So J.J. Watt, especially as a team captain on the defensive side, his words are going to carry a lot of weight when it comes to, all right, whatever we do, it's going to be easier to do it together than doing it separately individually. So there was that comment from Zayvon Collins. There was a comment where I just asked about the mood in the locker room, and he said, quote, and you tweeted this out, I think we're all just pissed, quote, end quote. He said, we got to change something. I don't know what it is. And he was adamant about that. Uh, it might have been the moment in the interview where he was most adamant and, and really demonstrative in his comments was, we got to change something. Well, A, what's realistic to change on a short week? And B, how do you identify what's going to change? I don't want to go into my rant from last week, but it was something along the lines of, I would break every tendency you can. And I think the Cardinals did that to some degree on the first drive, especially Kyler with a quarterback draw and some of those design runs. There was was a lot to like on that first drive. And and honestly, I thought – and then, to your point about after the second possession, they sort of lapsed into the same – unproductive manner in which they've gone about offense and how much that had to do with the offensive line. I'm not not exactly sure, but how how tough are they making it on defensive coordinators right now? From all (laughs) indications, not very difficult. Defenses appear to to know exactly how to scheme up against the Cardinals offense. Kyler Murray, we want to see him run. Ten times might be a little bit too much. 100 rushing yards. Eno Benjamin and Keonta Ingram basically did not give you much of anything at all, but Kyler Murray accounted for 100 
of the 144 rushing yards, which is a season high. So we'll see what happens this week. James Conner, Darrell Williams, are they able to go this week? Who knows? But you bring up change, and the last topic I want to address here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, is the kicking game. Yes, it is just one player. It's a kicker, but might we see a different place kicker this week against the New Orleans Saints because, once again, we talked about the fourth down decision to go for it on the second series of the game. Do you not have confidence in your kicker on fourth and four at the Seattle 20-yard line when you're up 3 nothing? There were two other instances, fourth and two at the Seattle 27, fourth and two at the Seattle 23. Paul, you're looking at field goals between 37 and 45 yards. Look, before the game, the word was that anything inside 40 yards, the Cardinals would be apt to go ahead and try a field goal. Anything beyond 40 yards, they were more um, likely to go ahead and go for it on fourth down. Now, there was a 37-38 yarder. That obviously could have been a field goal attempt. Cardinals elected otherwise. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you, I'll pull back the curtain here real quick. It's after the game. Obviously, that was one of the main questions I had for the head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. We're doing the interviews inside the Seahawks visiting locker room. And the broadcast location, the patch cords, the connection is in a locker at the end of the row of lockers. So over the years, almost two decades worth, in that final locker has always been the Cardinals kicker. Neil Rackers, Jay Feely, doesn't matter who it is, Phil Dawson, And so I'm always literally standing next to the kicker doing interviews. I mean, I I have to go ahead and and make sure I don't step on the guy's bag on his luggage. That's how on top of each other you are. So, of course, I have that question, and as Cliff Kingsbury comes over, and I'm looking over to my left to see if maybe Matt Amendola had gone to take a shower, and he hadn't. He was about three inches away from me. So it becomes a little more challenging to ask some pointed questions about someone who's right next to you and is about to lose his job. I agree. But to go into a game and not have the ability, especially in a low-scoring game where your defense is is in a slugfest and is holding down the high-scoring Seahawks and to not have the ability to go for a field goal in those, some of those situations. But then, and I think this is where a lot of fans get, get really irate, and it's fourth and two at the Seahawks' 23 we're in the fourth quarter now. It's a 19-9 to game. And the Cardinals go into shotgun, and they go empty. I'm just going to go ahead and cite Cardinals defensive linemen who have said when an offense goes into the shotgun, it automatically pairs down what I have to consider. When they go shotgun and go empty, it restricts what I have to consider even further. Defensive linemen, anyone in the defensive front, says thank you for that. Because there's so much less to consider, and they can just come off the ball and go after the quarterback. And, of course, Kyler got sacked. That was the final sack of the game. And at that point, that's where I get back to the tendencies, the predictability. Uh, What does Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, what do they do best? They keep a defense honest. And so is there enough of that right now in the Cardinals' offensive vision, in their scheme? And especially against the Seahawks defense that have been such a liability and missing their best defensive lineman in Al Woods. And so uh, I think that's where some of the frustration becomes palpable, uh, especially with the fan base. 
I understand going for it when it's three nothing, even going for it when it's nine to three, because again, it's still a one possession game. The only issue I had as far as going for it was the one you just mentioned. Fourth and two at the Seattle twenty three yard line. You're down ten. You're down two scores, ten minutes remaining in that game. At that point, you attempt the forty to forty one yard field goal to pull to within one score. Hope your defense can get a stop. The offense returns on the field and you're only down a touchdown. So at that point, yeah, the analytics, sure, you should be able to gain two yards. But late in game situations, I think you need to pull back a little bit and figure out what do we need in this situation as opposed to, well, I don't have confidence in our kicker. Well, if that's the case, before you even left Arizona, should not have been on the roster because now all of a sudden you put yourself behind the eight ball when you're only kicking field goals between 25 and 35. Well, at that point, you might as well go for it because that's the M.O. of the head coach. So essentially, Matt Amendola was on the roster for kickoffs? Yeah. Uh, at, at that point, why not just go with the Nino Benjamin? I'm always saying that half-jokingly. Uh, honestly, save the roster spot. Save, address someone else on game day and let Nino Benjamin not only handle the kickoffs but go down there and blow someone up. Uh, you know, so – yeah, that was um, confounding. There's no doubt about it. And once again, I give a lot of props to the defense because what happened after Kyler was sacked on that fourth and two of the 23, and by the way, that was the penultimate sack of the game, second to last sack of the game. Cardinals defense came out. J.J. Watt had the tackle for loss. Lost a two or three on that one. And then on third and 13, it was third and 13, Zavin had the sack. I mean, the Cardinals defense kept balling at that point, kept him in the game. Kept it a 10-point game. Do you know how deflating and disappointing that was on the 4th and 2 at the 23? And you're going shotgun, empty backfield, and taking the sack. And so, and turnover on downs again. But the defense kept kept bringing it and kept going after Geno Smith. So if they can just somehow figure out this offense, guess what? As a team that's a game out of first place in the NFC West, is that correct? You're just a game out right now? And guess what? Who knows? I mean, the winner of this division might end up 9-8, and 10-7. and seven. That's the one saving grace with all of this, and it's how I led Cardinal Talk on Sunday. Is like the one positive on all of this is where you stand within your own division. You're a game out of first place. Rams, Seahawks, 49ers, all 3-3, three and three, Cardinals 2-4. and four. Yet it's why you're 2-4 and four that stands out to me and becomes at this point – what do you do in case of emergency, break glass? Someone needs to do that. Someone needs to break glass and figure out what that emergency, we know what the emergency is, but what is the emergency to solve what ails the offense? Is that D-Hop? Is that the new acquisition in Robbie Anderson? Something needs to change. As Avon Collins told you postgame, what is that something? I don't know. So the reports are, as we record cover two, that Justin Pugh might be lost for the season as well. Season-ending knee injury, it is feared. Season-ending foot injury by Hollywood Brown. Robbie Anderson, the trade. Here comes DeAndre Hopkins. And then remember Cody Ford. Cody Ford was acquired. Now, is Cody Ford eligible? Was He was on IR. His four-game stint has expired, right? It is. He is eligible, and the last time Cliff was asked about it, he mentioned that it was going to be a little bit more time. So is this the week, short week? And by the way, the Cardinals, according to this, gave up a sixth-round pick in 2024 and a seventh-round pick in 2025 for Robbie Anderson, which is actually more than I thought they would give up. And considering that if you had waited, 
the Panthers would have released yep. Robbie Anderson, but then it's now on him to choose as a vested vet. You could go wherever you want to, and the Cardinals jumped in front of everyone else, maybe had to pay a little bit more because there were interested parties in Robbie Anderson. And in terms of his contract, the price is right. They owe him around yeah. seven hundred grand, the prorated remainder of his base salary. So what you gave up in compensation with a couple of low-round picks. Remember, the Cardinals are going to get a bunch of comp picks over the next couple of years. Uh, you make up for, in the lack of salary, not even seven figures, you're going to have to pay, pay a Robbie Anderson. Once again, you just you can't go the rest of the season with – a defense being able to double DeAndre Hopkins with impunity, and that's why you got Hollywood Brown. That's why it's so deflating and disappointing again because how would the defensive coverages trickle down to a Hollywood Brown who's been commanding a lot of the double coverage and the safeties over the top, that bracket look. A lot of what he got in Baltimore, one of the things he was really looking forward to coming to the Cardinals was playing with a D-hop because now if I'm getting single covered all the time, guess what? Here we go. Let's ball especially coming up on wanting a new contract at that point in his career. So disappointing for the Cardinals, disappointing for Hollywood. I think you would agree he has been great behind the scenes, great with the media. His insights are excellent, very bright guy, just talking to him. Uh, he's a great interview, great personality, uh, very popular in the locker room with the fellas. And so that's just devastating to hear that. Guess what? The loss is compounded at Seattle with the loss, most likely, of a Hollywood Brown and now a Justin Pugh. Yeah, you got the on-field loss and two off-field losses with respect to the roster moving forward. And again, a short week, Cardinals and Saints coming up on Thursday. 5.15 is the kickoff. 1.30 p.m. pregame coverage begins, and we'll see what DeAndre Hopkins can bring to the table, what a Robbie Anderson means to this offense moving forward. Hopefully, Paul, the next time you and I sit down here on Cardinals Cover 2, we are talking about not only a win, but an offense that is holding up its end of the bargain and not just relying on a defense that is keeping this team in games. And what will it mean in the run game? I mean, what were your thoughts about how they used the run game yesterday? You saw Nino Benjamin early. You saw Eno Benjamin come out at halftime, and they ran him between the tackles a few times, and it seemed to be successful the Cardinals got away from it, weren't able to commit to it. They were down in the game, so that was disappointing. Keontae Ingram was getting coached up on the sideline by James Conner, maybe a little too patient at times, a Keontae Ingram, sort of waiting for his blocks and, 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 a, and a crease to develop. And then instead he was getting swarmed over you know, and swallowed up at the point of attack. I think maybe if just reading through some of the body language and some of the hand gestures by James Conner, I think he was trying to tell the rookie, hit that hole with more ferocity. Then go ahead and look for your second cut. And so, you know, you're not a Chris Johnson, who's former Cardinals running back, who runs the 4-2-something, and you can sort of wait, 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 and then boom, hit that hit that running lane. Um, so, but, yeah, once again, you thought you'd be able to run for more yards against Seattle, and uh, we'll see what happens against a Saints team that is known for playing pretty stout defense, even though they got throttled by Geno Smith a couple games ago. That Saints defense with a Cameron Jordan, a Demario Davis, who lit up the stat sheet on Sunday, and Tyron Matthew making his return to State Farm Stadium in a regular season game. He was here earlier in a preseason game, but he has never played the Arizona Cardinals in the regular season. And, yes, it's been a little while, but, you know, Paul, the Honey Badger is going to be ready and anxious to make a play. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, boy. I forgot about Tyron Matthew, and I'm smiling right now. One of our favorite all-time Cardinals. A lot of respect for the Honey Badger. NFL Films, a little shout-out, some pre-advice. You <laughs> might want to shoot the pregame pep talk on the field by the Saints. I'm guessing Tyron Matthew will be delivering the pregame pep talk in his former home, State Farm Stadium. That will be something. I, I, I'm just throwing down – Pauly Propet, I'm saying that will exceed expectations. I take the over on the Tyron Matthew energetic pregame pep talk. And if you run in to Tyron Matthew, Paul, please uh, send along my best as well because he was always very, very good to us in that locker room, win yep. or lose. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, think of the long shot he was when the Cardinals drafted him in the third round once upon a time, how he was vir- he was toxic. He was virtually untouchable. And the Cardinals went for him in the third round largely due to the credit of not only Patrick Peterson, but Pat P's family, his parents, who took, took, him in, yeah. took him in in Florida. They got him out of New Orleans, got him away from some of his childhood influences. That made all the difference. And you remember, it was amazing. Look, when players can play, their fellow players know it, and they know it right away. It was rookie minicamp, and every, the buzz was immediately, oh, boy, are you seeing what the Badger is doing on the backfield? Because they wouldn't let the media on the backfield with the cameras. All you could hear was just some of the anecdotal information from the veterans. And then as they got into mandatory minicamp, oh, yeah, the Badger, after close practice and the cameras left, guess what? He made about 17 plays today. He was all over the field, and you could hear him before you could see him. And he's just one of those guys that lifts up an entire team in a locker room. And uh, so much respect. Glad to see he's able to play at least one season in his hometown. And uh, all the Saints fans have come to love him. Let's hope Cardinals have something in store. Maybe, uh, you know, get Tyron Matthew at his age at this point, get him into the slot, get him into space, and see if a speedster can go ahead and get a step on 5.15 is the kickoff on Thursday. And on that note, we'll put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.